As we think about the world in which we live, the times we face, we need God. Depend upon him moment by moment each day. Let's pray together. Father, again, we're grateful for your word. It's our desire to be hearers and doers of your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to share the true account of an individual, I will call Sherry, that took place over, the, over a period of years. Sherry faced many difficulties as a child, as a teenager. Would have lived a pretty rough life early into her 20s and would have come to faith in Christ sometime as a young adult. As a young adult, she had marital difficulties that were many. They didn't seem to go away. She would be responsive to God and strive to live in sensitivity to him. And then she would begin to question God and begin to doubt God. Went through deep financial difficulties. And again, would trust God. And then at times she would doubt God and say, God, where are you? Why aren't you working she went through deep difficult physical difficulties and again process of trusting God but at times would doubt God where are you you don't seem to be responding in any way but her life and she is still living has been one of ups and downs and along the way battled with many doubts she is not unique The passage we want to look at this morning, we find that those that Christ had chosen battled with doubts. We will read Mark 6, or 16 rather, 9 through 20 together. We find that the 11 are refusing to believe. The witness of three people as it relates to the resurrection. And it's in that context that Christ gives to them what we might call the Great Commission. And you will notice, probably in your Bible, it'll say before verse 9, the earliest manuscripts and some ancient witnesses do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. And I've done some reading on that. Some would say that's not part of what Mark wrote, but was added later. We're not going to go into that this morning. We'll consider the text. When we think about Scripture, Mark did not write his gospel. And when he got done writing it, take it to publisher, and then take it and give it to someone and say, now include this in the canon of Scripture. And as it relates to compiling a Scripture and Scriptures we have it today, that's a subject, Lord willing, sometime in the near future we'll take a Sunday or two just to discuss that. But that's not the point of where we are this morning. So let's read together Mark 16, 9 through 20. When Jesus rose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, 
but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. As we think about this passage, we find that Jesus appears on the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday. He appears first to Mary Magdalene. He had cast out seven demons from her. And she went and told those who had been with him. And those who had been with him were mourning and weeping because of Christ and his death. Now keep in mind, Mary Magdalene was the one who experienced watching Jesus on the cross. She observed where they laid Jesus. She had gone with several other ladies on the first day of the week to anoint the body of Jesus. And here she is reporting to his followers what she saw, that she had seen the resurrected Christ. And remember that she is reporting to men who had been told on three different occasions by Jesus that he was going to go through a trial, he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to come from the dead. And then at the Last Supper, he mentioned again a fourth time that he would come from the dead. What is their response when they heard that Jesus was alive and she had seen him? They did not believe it. They're rejecting an eyewitness. They have a refusal to believe. They're skeptical. But the text goes on. Afterward, that is, after the appearance of Jesus to Mary Magdalene, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them. Now, when it says different form, the text just says a different form. It would be a form that they did not recognize him at this point in time as the resurrected Christ. They didn't recognize him as the Christ. The account is given in Luke 24, 23 through 32 in some detail. They were going to a village called Emmaus. They're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Oh, I got the wrong map here. So uh, we won't look at it, obviously. That was going to be Jerusalem there in Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven, seven miles away from Jerusalem. And while they're walking along, Jesus appears to them. 
He comes and he's walking with them. They do not recognize him. He asks them what they're discussing, discussing, and their response seems a little, I guess they seem a little taken back because uh, they said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus says, what things? And then they go on to discuss Jesus of Nazareth, you know, his trial, his crucifixion, and so on. And what does Jesus do? He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? And then what does he do? He begins with Moses and the prophets, and he explains to them concerning Christ and what is to happen. They approach the village. And what do they do as they approach a village? They are going to stay at Emmaus. And Jesus acts like he is going to walk on. And they press him, and he goes in with them. And we know that as they were eating, they recognized, or he took the bread, rather he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, and they recognized Christ as being Christ. And then he left. The two at that point in time got up and went back to Jerusalem to the eleven to share with them. And in Mark 16 it says, These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them. Did not believe them either. They did not believe Mary Magdalene. They did not believe the two men that saw the resurrected Christ. There, again, is a refusal to believe. In spite of eyewitnesses. The refusal to believe, I want to illustrate that, was something that happened when Ruth Ann and I were dating. Ruth Ann and I were dating. I grew up as a Mennonite. She grew up as a Baptist. We decided that she either becomes a Mennonite or I become a Baptist or we don't get married. And one night I told her, I said, you either become a Mennonite or I become a Baptist or we don't get married and I'm not becoming a Baptist. I went home and slept like a baby and she went to bed and cried. But anyway, she said, well, you go talk to my pastor. I said, sure, I'll go and talk to your pastor with you. But I want you to know before we go that no matter what he says, he may even take scripture and show me, I will not accept what he says. That was a stubborn refusal to believe. So we went, he shared, and we left. And I said, I'm no more convinced than when I went. I mean, God did some work in my heart after that in quite a few ways. But there was a stubborn refusal to believe. We find the 11 heard from Mary Magdalene, heard from the two that were on the road to Emmaus, but they still did not believe. The text goes on, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. 
after Mary Magdalene shared with them, after the two shared with them, their refusal to believe. Jesus appears. And what does he do? He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He appears to them while they're eating. And remember, he had already stated four times that he would come from the dead. In Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, and Mark 14. Mary has stated she has seen him. The two in the road to Emmaus have stated that they have seen him. But they still will not believe. They had a stubborn refusal. They were unwilling to be persuaded. They had a settled rejection of Jesus' words. He had shared with them, again, four times that he would come from the dead. They rejected the eyewitnesses. So what does Jesus do? He rebukes them. He upbraids them. He points out they're wrong. We don't know what he said. It just says he rebuked them. I told you in Mark 8, I told you in Mark 9, I told you in Mark 10, I told you in Mark 14 that I was going to go to the trial, I was going to be persecuted, I was going to go to the cross, I was going to come from the dead. Mary Magdalene told you that she saw me. The two on the road to Emmaus told you that they saw me. You still don't believe. I'm rebuking you and telling you that you're wrong. I'm rebuking you for your lack of faith. They did not accept Jesus at his word. Nor did they accept the eyewitnesses. In a three-year ministry, he had told them three times, I've come from the dead. At the Last Supper, he said, I will come from the dead and I will see you in Galilee. They had a refusal to believe. The text says, he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe. Stubborn refusal, hardness of heart. We don't believe what the witnesses said. We don't believe what you said, Jesus. And now here he is himself. And what is he doing? He rebukes them. Their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Three eyewitnesses. Ah, can't be Jesus. He certainly didn't come from the dead. Now it is in this context of doubt, of refusal to believe that Jesus says in verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people. And they will get well. 
This is being given to men who have a stubborn refusal to believe. But what does he say? Go into all the world. And the idea is while you're going into the world, the command would be to preach the good news. Preach simply means to announce openly, to announce publicly. The good news, as we reflect in the Gospel of Mark, is Christ's life, his character, his identity, his being, his miracles, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. While you're going, preach the good news of Christ. And he says, whoever believes, the belief here is a firm persuasion, a firm conviction that Christ is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He paid the penalty for sin. He died. He arose from the dead. Whoever believes has a firm persuasion, a firm conviction concerning Christ. And then he says, is baptized. Baptism, as you look at the overall thrust of the Scripture and the terminology here, is an act that comes after faith, after trusting in the good news of Christ. He says that individual will be saved. Will be saved means to preserve safe and unharmed. The one who believes and then baptized has a firm faith will be brought to safety. That is, they'll be kept in this life and be brought to be with the Lord in the future. Will be saved. So there's a belief. He goes on in the context, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Refusal to believe. A choice to be a skeptic. The message of the good news of Christ is presented. His trial, his crucifixion, his burial, his being raised, his being seen. His character, his identity, his being. They refuse to believe. They're a skeptic. He says that person will be condemned to place in a guilty light by contrast. To give judgment against. They rejected Christ. He says that person will be condemned. Belief will be saved. Unbelief will be condemned. And the belief or does not believe is in the context of the good news. And the good news, again, involves Christ's character, his being, his identity, his life, his death, his resurrection, his being seen. It is in that context, he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. People have rejected Christ, but he says these signs. And then he lists signs. 
And I realize this passage may be, and many times is very controversial. But I want you to look at the text. Verse 6 or 17, these signs will accompany those who believe. The 11 were in a state of disbelief at this point in time. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. Is he saying those that believe through the ministry of the disciples, they're all going to drive out demons. They're going to speak in new tongues. They're going to pick up snakes with their hands. They drink deadly poison that won't hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people and so on. Well, look at verse 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them, with the disciples, and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. As I understand the text, the signs that are present are following the 11 as they preach the gospel to confirm that the message they're speaking is of God. So he says, they will drive out demons. You can read the book of Acts and you will find some examples of demons being driven out in Acts 5, Acts 8, Acts 16, Acts 19. He talks about speaking in new tongues. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. Again, confirming that the 11 were speaking the message of the gospel. Pick up snakes with their hands. Acts 28, we find the account of Paul. No record of anyone drinking deadly poison that it would not hurt them. But place hands on sick people and they will get well. Acts 5, Acts 6 are several examples. So as you look at the text, the signs that follow are following the disciples to confirm that they are speaking the message of Christ, which goes back to Deuteronomy 13 and 18, where Moses said, I will give signs to my prophets to confirm that they're speaking for me. So that's my take in Mark 8. You may disagree. You may read some other commentator. Uh, That would be my understanding. The signs are not that all the believers are going to be doing these things, but it would be tied in with the Apostles or disciples as they are obedient. It becomes evident that the Lord is working with them, confirming their word by the signs. So what happened? The Lord Jesus spoke to them. Then he was taken up to heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. What is the point of Mark's chapter 16? It would be the conviction that the identity, the character, the being of Jesus and his word concerning the resurrection is confirmed by his resurrection. It's confirmed by the obedience of the 11 and the signs that follow them. Mark is communicating that Christ is 
who he claimed to be, he arose from the dead. And the 11 obeying, going and preaching the good news, and the, their message being confirmed by these signs, clearly communicates Christ is the Son of God. He is who he claimed to be. Now, assuming that Mark was written to the believers in Rome who were undergoing persecution, how did the Roman believers here, that should be Mark 16, not Romans 16, how did the believers hear Mark 16? Jesus is who he claimed to be. Wouldn't it be comforting for the believers in Rome to hear Mark 16? Christ did come from the dead. Here's the three witnesses. The 11 went out and they ministered and their message was confirmed by signs. They would be encouraged because tonight it's a need and just turn to light Nero's garden. Travail and Sandy are going to be thrown to the wild beast. And there's going to be spectators watching them get torn to pieces. And they hear Mark 16. Ah, oh, we're on track. I think the Roman believers also would have heard, be faithful. You are persecuted and may die like Jesus, but death is not the end. Resurrection is coming. Just as Christ came from the dead, you'll come from the dead. Christ came from the dead. He is, he is who he claimed to be. That's confirmed by the three witnesses who saw the resurrected Christ. It's confirmed by the 11 who saw the resurrected Christ. It's confirmed by the signs that followed the 11. Be faithful. Stand firm. I think they also would have heard you may battle with doubt. In fear and uncertainty, you're not alone. Consider the eyewitnesses. Do we really want to follow this Christ? We're not so sure. Is he who he claimed to be? We have some doubts. Then they get the book of Mark, and it is read to them, and they're encouraged. See, the eleven doubted. But yet God gave what we, or Christ gave what we call the Great Commission in the midst of that doubt. Some applications for our life. Are you following Jesus? Have you come, in, come to faith in him? Are you walking with him as a lifestyle? Are you following this Jesus who went to the cross, died, was buried, was raised from the dead, was witnessed to have come from the dead by Mary Magdalene and the two going on the, the road to the Mass, by the eleven who later saw him. Do you know him? Is he, your, is he your Savior? Are you walking with him? If not, why not come to him today? But I think another application in light of Mark 16, 9 through 20, doubt and unbelief at points in time seem to be part of walking with Christ. But it is not the end of the road. There's 11 men eating together. They have walked three years with Jesus. They saw him crucified. He was placed in a tomb. 
and they're doubting. They have a stubborn refusal to believe that he came from the dead. But that's not the end. They're the ones who went out and shared the good news of Christ. They were obedient. And as you read through the epistles, you will find it seems to be common that believers in Christ at times doubt, like the eleven. But it's not the end. The eleven doubted. They're given the great commission in the midst of doubt. But God works. And they die for their faith. So if you go through doubt at times, don't be shocked. Remember, Philippians 2 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. God is at work. He was at work in the 11. They obeyed. Signs accompanied them. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. Be faithful. Life may go good at times. It may be rough at times. Be faithful. Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Be faithful, even in the midst of doubts. Sherry, whom I mentioned at the beginning of my message, over the years, struggled with doubt and unbelief frequently. Her most recent struggle was probably several years ago when she went through some real deep financial, or not financial, but family difficulty. And I was talking to her one day on the phone. And she said, Pastor, I'm really struggling. I'm really doubting. I said, here's what scripture says. And I shared some scripture with her. And over the years, in the midst of periods of doubt and struggle, she has a deep, deep love for God. She has yielded to Christ. She talks to others as doors open concerning Christ and what he can do. But at times she continues to struggle. But God is at work in her. Why? Because of a resurrected Christ. The eleven struggled, but God worked. They were obedient. And we're here today because of their obedience to a command that was given to them in the midst of doubt. So where you may be in life, Look to Christ, depend on him. And if you're doubting, if you're struggling, let Christ minister to you, but also don't be afraid to open your life to some other believers because God wants to use them.
in our lives.